G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 41 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. and today we are joined by Holly and Matt from Florida who are the parents of 18 month old Edison who was born with IARM as well as a congenital heart defect and we will chat to Holly first and then we'll have a chat to Matt near the uh, end of the podcast. So welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. Good to meet you guys. Good to meet you guys. Hey. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, Holly, can let's can we just start off, uh, you can detailing uh, your journey with Edison? I guess it started with finding out the gender. Um, we went to the anatomy scan at 18 weeks, and they found some anomalies. They found his cardiac defect. And then they had an echogenic bowel and a single vessel cord. My husband and his sister both had cardiac defects. So it was kind of surprising because it's not really a genetic thing. But it comes to find out there's a 4% chance if you or your spouse had congenital heart defect um, that that could be passed on. So we went ahead and did an amnio because of their findings. They thought there could be something more. Uh, and there wasn't. So we went on to finish out the pregnancy, just preparing for heart surgery. <laughs> In his condition, he had double outlet right ventricle with a VSD. Okay. Now, you mentioned something about a bowel condition. What was that? It just said it was an echogenic bowel. It was like a, a dilated or bright bowel on the ultrasound. And they said, ah, usually that's nothing. You know, maybe they had to go to the bathroom while they were in utero. And I, a long time <laughs> researching it just to find out it could be an intestinal defect where they weren't connected. Uh, but later on, we did a more intensive anatomy scan and we were followed with high risk after that. And nobody ever mentioned, they said, oh no, that looks normal now. So it's just the cardiac uh, defect that we're monitoring that nothing changes with that. And then we had the single vessel cord. Okay. Now, Edison was born premature, wasn't he? He was. I went to my routine high-risk doctor's appointment uh, at 35 weeks, and they said my fluids look kind of low when I call him the doctor, and they said that I should go to the hospital just for monitoring for 24 hours. They'd probably give me fluids and steroids. So I called my husband and said, hey, they want me to go for 24 hours. I don't know if you want to sit with me. They're just going to give me fluids. So we went, gave me fluids for 24 hours. Uh, my mom ended up coming up because she lives about five hours away. I kept telling her, it's not a big deal. <laughs> We're just here for 24 hours. She ended up staying at the hospital with me that night. I told my husband, go to work. We're going to leave in the morning. My mom will take me home. And they came in for the ultrasound the following morning. Uh, and they're like, oh, your fluids are half of what they were. Uh, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So it was Called my husband, hey, don't go to work. We're going to have a baby. <laughs> they would have been all prepared to take him straight away for the cardiac issue, I'd imagine. Was that right? Yeah. When we delivered, we were delivering at one hospital, and it was suggested by our pediatric cardiologist that we move to the hospital connected to the children's hospital. So that way, when he was born, they could assess him, do an echocardiogram right away, that was no longer in utero because we went for them routinely while he was in utero. So that was a plan. They knew he was five weeks early, cardiac baby. 
he's going to go straight to the NICU just to get his echo, and then they might send him back to the room kind of thing. It's the way they told us things were going to happen. <laughs> and and then you got a bit of a surprise, didn't you, when he was born? Yes, we had a C-section um, just because of how low the fluids were. We didn't want to put him at any more risk than he already was. Coming early and whatnot, put him under no stress. And so my husband went with him to the NICU, and they were doing the full workup. He was on oxygen for a little bit. And they went to go do a rectal temp, and then they said, surprise. <laughs> so <laughs> my mom, who was in recovery with me for the C-section, um, we were sitting there. My husband came back. He's great. He's four pounds, 13 ounces. He's off the oxygen. He only needed it for a little bit. But but they went to do a rectal temp, and they said he doesn't have a butthole. And we, that's so funny. <laughs> what kind of joke is that? We just had a baby. And uh, my mom kept saying, that's so cruel for you to say. He was just born. You know, he can't even defend himself thinking he was joking. Um, they're like, no, no, no. But they, they said they can fix it. And that was all, all we knew at that point. I was in recovery, couldn't move. And my husband kept going back and forth trying to figure it out, learn. So over the next 24, 48 hours, what did he have first? Did he have the colostomy or did he have the heart surgery? He did. We were fortunate enough his heart was stable. They wanted to do it right away, but it was a holiday weekend and they didn't have a pediatric surgeon. They actually had a call one. Uh, she was from up north somewhere. I don't remember where. Obviously a lot was going on at that time. She ended up performing the surgery, I think July 4th on a Sunday. So the holiday that the world celebrated it on for nobody has to work was that Monday, July 5th. <laughs> so we were the only ones they actually took us back to do his pre-op and post-op all in the same area. There was nobody there. I think he was 36 hours old when they ended up doing it. And his stomach was so distended and full of gas. We were excited for it to happen just because he looked like he was uncomfortable. Was it there that you were told that the condition is easily fixable and it's, it's not going to have any worries long term? Yeah, when they first found it, they kept telling us, oh, we can fix it, we can fix it. And maybe they said that because a lot was happening in the first 24 hours. You just had a baby and you're finding all these surprises. But the actual surgeon kind of explained to, uh, to us as there's a high IA, medium and low. You won't know his continence till later on. So she explained it the best and that entire NICU. But everybody else, you tell your family. We waited to tell family because we didn't know what was happening. We were learning so much. Um, we told family, but not friends. Kept pretty discreet until we knew answers. But everyone, oh, they they'll just fix it. They'll you know they'll get a butthole and they'll just it'll be normal. And that was probably the most gut wrenching. And they still say that. And we're dealing with so much post piece arp and colostomy takedown. The, the biggest struggle, despite all of his bacterial letters. When did he actually have the cardiac surgery? Did he have that before the PSAP or afterward? Really, nobody wanted to operate on Edison unless it was very, very necessary. So he had his colostomy takedown. We eventually got out of the NICU or colostomy, sorry, placement. We eventually got out of the NICU and they found other findings. He had uh, caudal regression syndrome. He's missing his sacrum. And he had some kidney dilation that they said, you know, monitor later on. And that was it at the time. 
So we went on, followed cardiac or cardiology, and they wanted us to, you know, get him as beefy as possible before surgery because he was only four pounds, nine ounces, I think, when he left the NICU. So we did that. And for a while, he would only ever eat two ounces at a time. He never would eat more than two ounces till he was had nine and a half months old. We thought that was all due to his heart, but chest x-rays and echocardiograms said otherwise because, you know, he's stable. He's fine. His lungs are clear. So finally in January, the cardiologist was like, yep, we're going to do the surgery. And we were finally like, oh, like one less thing to worry about. You know, we could get him big. I think he was like nine pounds at the time, you know, six months old, nine pounds. We did the whole insurance thing. He was stable and his surgery was supposed to be February 28th. We were like, oh, it's heart month. You know, how cool is that? Uh, they went to go do his surgery. We did pre-op and everything, nerve wracking. I can't even explain the emotions that we had. Did pre-op, looking forward to all this being over. You know, he'll get big. He'll eat more than two ounces at a time. You don't have to worry about malnutrition. And I think we were in the waiting room for 20 minutes and the surgeon's PA came out and was like, everything's fine. He's okay. <laughs> But he has a narrowing of his airway and they can't intubate him. They've tried multiple times. They have an ENT, you know, the best ENT coming. Dilate his airway because of all the trauma from trying to intubate him. And he's going to do a scope. I think it was not even 10 minutes after she came and told us that. And we're like, well, I guess we got to get done. Like he came and he let us know that there was no fistula, which was rare for his condition. He's already a bacterial kid, but he did have narrowing of his airway like laryngorachal stenosis and that it would definitely need operating. And it was kind of not funny, but funny because this entire time we knew like the months leading up to surgery, his breathing kept getting so much more labored or like visual. Like you could see his whole, you know, chest going in and out and his uh, throat, you could see it going up and down. And they just kept saying, yeah, it's probably because, you know, it's time for surgery. We're going to do it. It's gonna be, you know, he's going to be fine. He's stable. So it was a couple days later, they reconstructed his airway. That recovery was probably one of the hardest recoveries. He was sedated and intubated for five days to let the airway heal. Give him a little bit of nutrition through an NG tube. He was on TPN. He ended up becoming so addicted to pain medicines, but eventually he'd like move and they'd have to give him more medicine because they didn't want him to move because they needed everything to stay so. That's why he was sedated. They needed it all stay so still to let that airway heal let the graft take. How did that affect the heart surgery? So it sounds like that was a separate thing. Yeah. So they did more, you know, why we were inpatient for that recovery. They did chest x-rays every day and then echocardiograms were pretty frequent and he was stable. They would up his Lasix to make sure fluid buildup didn't occur, but they, the airway doctor, the ENT didn't want Edison to have surgery for six weeks. So he was like, stay as, I don't even know, secluded as you can for six weeks because you don't want anything to set you back. But also you wanted the airway to keep healing. You didn't want any disturbance in his throat. And this is in the so, middle of COVID as well. Oh, this is, yeah, shortly after the Delta variant, whatever variant it was that, that month. So we didn't do anything. It was Easter. We were on our own. My sister had a baby shower. We stayed back. We videoed in and said hi to everybody. Worked remote for those. Uh, I think we were home for four weeks because he was impatient. 
So then I finally had a heart surgery day. We're going to do it in April. We went for pre-op again. And his urine came back with bacteria in it. Oh, dear. Yeah. But he wasn't showing any signs of a UTI. And he does have the kidney reflux. They just put a little baggie to collect his urine. So I was like, I want to get in with the urologist if that's the case. Because now I'm concerned that he's not showing any signs of infection. So we go into urology, get a clean catch, and there's nothing wrong with his urine. But by that point, everyone, you know, surgery was already off the table and it was rescheduled. So April 20th, he finally had his heart surgery and it was very successful. Ended, I think, like an hour and a half earlier than the intended time. And then it was two, three weeks after that. I think it was two weeks after that. He ate six ounces (laughs) in one sitting. It was a miracle. That would have been a bit of a celebration. Oh, my. The stress that we endured feeding him. We'd wake up in the middle of the night to feed him still just because he needed every calorie. You know, we were so focused on the calories to get big. And then you also want him to stay hydrated. He was doing like 14 ounces a day. How was all this affecting his bowels with his uh, colostomy? So fortunately, at that time, we didn't really have very many issues with his colostomy. The Lasix would make his poop a little bit more watery, and then you'd get a little concerned about dehydration. And then before we knew his airway was an issue, I thought, well, maybe he's not gaining weight because of lack of sodium in his diet, because I've read in all the groups that if it doesn't, you know, if your food's not going through all the intestines, maybe it's not absorbing everything it needs. Put him on a probiotic, but he... He did all right. They were worried after his airway surgery because of all the medication he was on that would, he would get backed up. So they automatically uh, wanted to give him a laxative, but I was not for it. Like, as long as he's pooping fine, why give him a laxative? If it's still coming out, <laughs> don't give him, you know, the less medication we could give him, the better. He's on so much. I know around this time that you were able con- to connect with someone from our community, Cassandra, who we've previously interviewed on the podcast. And as it turned out, Cassandra lived very close by and was a real support to you. Oh, yeah. I think we were home from the hospital for like from the NICU when we first came home. We have a friend that was in or is in a Down syndrome group with Cassandra Malachi and her daughter. And she asked me, is it okay if I share this information. I have a friend and it sounds like it was very similar situations. And I said, sure. And she reached out to me um, and came over to our house. (laughs) Sleep stranger, just had a baby. It was, we were probably a mess at that time. And she brought us ostomy supplies. And at that point, you know, everybody struggles with the bag in the beginning. Um, And, you know, you're sleep deprived and exhausted and she gave us all her tips and tricks, you know, in the hospital, they suggest one way to put it on and you're a new mom in a new situation, different kind of caretaker than you ever thought you were going to be. But I was so the nurse said in the hospital, you know, not thinking that I could try other things. It wasn't for her. <laughs> I don't know that the bag would have ever stuck. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And I know you'd reach out to me a couple of times and uh, mentioned yeah. that listening to the stories on the podcast really sort of like made you feel like you were less alone. Yeah. I went back to work into the office. I would listen to your podcast while I was working and it gives me new ideas and things to try with Edison. But also I think it was always short-term goals for him. It was, you know, 
bring them home, get them bigger for heart surgery. So we can do the piece heart surgery. So we could do this. And then that was all where my head stopped at, not realizing that there's all these, you know, the long term of what we're going to deal with and what I needed to start researching back then, you know, introducing to him early. So he liked fruits and vegetables and, but your podcast <laughs> made me realize I'm not the only one going through all of this. So, and they're powering through, so I can power through. Oh, that's great. Now, and when did you contact Dr. Callisto at the Nicholas Children's Hospital, who has a colorectal center in Florida? Cassandra actually told me too, um, you don't want, because I was like, well, the general surgeon said, she's like, you don't want a general surgeon. <laughs> you want someone who specializes in it. So I reached out to him early on, probably November. So he was five months old, give or take, just to start doing the studies. You know, what kind of fistula does he have? Does he have a fistula? What did he think the steps, you know, was, did he think PSART was going to be a one surgery thing? Was it going to be a two surgery thing? I wanted him to put eyes on Edison, kind of tell us then, give us ideas, <laughs> be prepared. So was it decided that he do the piece up would be done once the heart surgery and everything else was completed? Yeah. He said approximately eight weeks after his cardiac surgery, we could visit the piece heart surgery. Right. So when, when's the first time you actually, uh, you had the appointment with him so that, it, and he could uh, examine Edison. So we met with him telehealth first because, COVID was still rampant and we were trying to stay away from people because we knew we had a cardiac baby, cardiac Edison. And then he wrote us a prescription to go ahead and get a procedure done at the children's hospital here. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it, but I had, I had asked questions about it where they do the dye to see where his colon ended. And they saw that there was no connection. So we had a follow-up appointment later on with him. And he was like, there's no connection, but that's normal, you know, in some cases. And he's like, I predict continence because you know, at that time, that's all. The only question I really have is, what do you think for continence? Thinking now, I'm like, that doesn't even matter. <laughs> that's not important at this time. So then we had his heart surgery in April. And I think we saw him in person in May. It was shortly after his heart surgery. And we were going down there to see him in person. Also, so they could do that same procedure to see now that he's bigger, if they could identify a fistula and they were at that time, he actually came down to do the procedure and he did find a fistula. It was connected to his urethra. So, and from that, the, uh, PSAF was booked in, um, his PSAF was July 27th. And then his, um, my birthday was. July 31st. So I kept joking with the doctors and surgeons who make rounds. Like, we'll be out of here by the 30th. And they kept telling us, you know, to anticipate a week. It, the hospital's six hours away, but my parents only lived like an hour away. So I kept telling them, we go, we'll stay close for a couple of days. He actually recovered really well from that. Pain-wise, he did phenomenal. You know, we managed at home with Tylenol. The biggest struggle with that surgery was because the fistula was connected to his urethra, we had to do the double diaper method with a catheterin for two weeks. So that was what was difficult. That yeah. was probably his only pain when you're changing his diaper and 
we use the bulb and hot water and you don't want it to get infected. That was probably, you know, and if he crawled or sat a weird way, surprisingly, the sitting on his mum after that did not bother him. You know, even though he had a huge incision, it would be the discomfort, I think, from the catheter because he'd always grab at the front of the diaper. And, and did you have to do the dilations? At that point, we did not. We came home for two weeks, and then when we went back to get the catheter taken out, he introduced us to the lovely dilation. Yes, not to not a pleasant subject, but it's a no. very important subject when it comes to the recovery after the piece up. And how it did is. how did you and your husband handle the piece the dilations? Well, we're still handling them very difficultly. He's older now, so at first it was fine. You know, he'd cry and he's in pain, you know, or you think he's in pain. But I think as, I don't know if it does, they get bigger as he knows they're coming. Like, I know I'm going to get one in the morning and I'm going to get one at night. The second he gets on the changing table, he's screaming. He stiffens his legs and clenches his cheeks because he doesn't want you anywhere over there. So after his colostomy takedown, we, you know, we were really good about that twice a day. On Friday, sometimes we wouldn't do it Friday night to give everybody in the house a break. Yeah, we got up to the size we needed to for his colostomy takedown. And then we went in for his colostomy takedown and we needed to continue doing them. But he's in so much pain, you know, because he had his takedown. He also had a testicle that was undescended, taken down at the same time. He had a hernia removed that was, there was a lot going on in his abdominal area. So after that, it was really hard to, you know, the doctors would do rounds. Did you do the dilation yet? And that was probably the hardest. He was in so much pain and he didn't know what the pain was from. And then I'm going to give you discomfort because I gotta give you dilation. How did he recover from the hernia and understand the testicle operation? That was, that was the hardest surgery uh, next to airway surgery. Really? Because you didn't know how to comfort him. And then every time he pooped, he would scream. But I think it was just a, uh, I'm surprised at what's happening in my diaper right now. And it could have very well been pains too. You know, you're using intestines you've never used before you, and you have so many incisions in yeah. your diaper and stomach area right now. And then following that, he got RSV while we were inpatient at the hospital. And, but we didn't know, you know, he started coughing and we thought he's probably got a cold in the hospital. We came back to Jacksonville and it was like the next morning he could hardly breathe. We went to the doctor. He had RSV. So to top off, you just had your colostomy takedown, hernia repair, a testicle descended. Now you've got RSV and you're coughing. You know, oh, poor little fella. Serious, serious cough. But powered through. He's a strong little boy. <laughs> yeah, he certainly is. And, and how's he going at the moment? Like How's his bowels and everything going now? We are still figuring that out. When we left the hospital, um, they said, you know, give him three mLs of Senna if he doesn't poop three times in the one day. So that was the instructions then when we left. And I get everything's probably still learning to work. Then we went back after the colostomy takedown for post-op with Dr. Calista. They did an x-ray and they're like, okay, we need to increase to 10 mLs of Senna. And at that point, my husband and I were figuring out, you know, his belly's kind of distended. He didn't poop today or yesterday. Let's up the amount of Senna we're giving him. And we had emailed with Dr. Callisto, who's 
so readily available all the time. Every time I email him, like within an hour, it's he's phenomenal. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. He, I had asked him, you know, can we give him suppositories? You know, we're still navigating that. I knew this is going to be a learning curve because of all the podcasts that we've listened to, you know, figuring out his diet. Is it the Senna dosage suppositories enemas? So at that point, I think when we went to Dr. Calista, we were doing like six mLs of Senna and he had said to up to 10 mLs of Senna and go ahead and do a clean out. So we needed to do three days of enemas to clean him out. He was a little backed up. That was about a month ago and we were doing great. Again, still playing with the Senna dosage. You know, if he didn't poop, I don't think 10, you know, 10 mLs wasn't enough, whatever. Or if he threw up after the Senna, I thought maybe 10 mLs was too much. All the questions everybody I'm sure is asking all the time with these IA babies. So we actually just experienced our first hospital stay, go lightly clean out because he did get so backed up. And it was kind of surprising because if he didn't poop, we were doing suppositories. So every day he had a bowel movement, but I guess he just wasn't emptying all the way. And it got to the point where he couldn't, you know, keep fluids down. And you're arguing with everybody for an x-ray because we don't live close to our colorectal center. I called and I said, can you write us a prescription for an x-ray? The second he threw up, I was like, okay, let's rule out if this is a stomach bug or if we're back. And uh, they said, we don't just write prescriptions for x-rays. And then I tried to get into the pediatrician's office. They didn't want to follow us. Or she had said, I can't write the prescription because who would follow you for this? It would be your surgeon. So your surgeon needs to. But Dr. Clista was on a mission trip. <laughs> it was just all happened at a really good time. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just reaffirms how important it is to, if you're able to, to get the colorectal specialist who deals with IA ARM to see the child isn't it yeah it sounds like it make that made a massive difference to you when you went under his care oh yeah I guess that one of the surgeons in his practice reached out to him while he's you know we got the prescription for the x-ray went and got it and he emailed me and I was trying not to bother him because I knew we we're in totally different time zones email me the x-ray as soon as you have it so I emailed it to him and he emailed me right back within minutes that we needed to go for a clean out. And then I said, okay, you know, what do I tell them? Cause we're going to a children's hospital that does not have a colorectal center. This is not just a normal constipated baby. So he told us everything we needed to say when we got there, he actually had a friend who's a pediatric surgeon in pediatric surgery at our children's hospital. So he contacted him to find out who was on call to tell them this is what Edison needs. It's all who you know. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I know you touched on this earlier. How have you navigated the issue with trying to explain Edison's IA in particular to family and friends? I mean, we'll tell anybody who asks. We wouldn't publicly posted about it before I think just because we were still navigating it so as we were navigating it our family was navigating it with us and our friends were navigating it with us and I think uh your book really helped a lot put it into many different perspectives but a lot of people would say so after the surgery he's fixed you know because after the heart he's fixed after the airway he's fixed you know that's not the case as all of us know so you know we say 
we try and correct it, you know, not necessarily fix. It's going to be something he deals with for the rest of his life. It's just navigating it now. Yes. Trying to figure it out. So I think that it was the hardest with immediate family. I think trying to explain it. And I think it still kind of is because they relied on us maybe for the research and didn't research it so much themselves. So, you know, we have a lot going on. We were trying to figure out what was best for Edison, what surgeon, this, that. So it's hard to keep them on the loop, but you want them to hear the different stories so they can understand it's not, it's not fixed. It's definitely a correction and it's something he's going to live with for the rest of his life. And it's how can we help him live with it? For the rest of his life it's gonna be his diet he's gonna be on a daily something to help him go to the restroom mm. the reason why i sort of mentioned that is because you created a facebook page edison's flight crew just to update family and friends how has that helped you with discussing or sharing the journey as you've gone along so much <laughs> and i actually created the page because Edison was born with so much, as we discussed. And so many people wanted to know how things are going, how things are going. Well, as a new mom, you're exhausted. You're trying to avoid postpartum. You're just trying to power through. So rather than either not getting to everybody's phone calls and text messages, I thought, I'll just update everybody through that. And some people uh, read it to it, you know, entirety. And then some just look at all the weekly photos of him and videos. My husband brought up a good point. He's type one diabetic. He was diagnosed when he was seven. So same with the IA and kind of diabetes as to how are, how are you going to live with it for the rest of your life? It doesn't yep. affect his every day, but what does he do differently that maybe not everybody realizes every day? As you say, you have to navigate yourself and you have to treat your body. It's a lifelong yeah. thing. Yeah. And I had mentioned to family, um, they'd always be like, so he's fixed. Not necessarily, you know, we're going to, we're going to have to figure this out and it's probably going to take a few years and it's important. He doesn't get backed up with constipation. Otherwise we can end up in the hospital, you know, to do a clean out, they call it. Now we know all of that entails. So I think that this clean out that we just had last weekend really put things in perspective for everybody who's close by and in our circle. Yep. You know, it's definitely important. You know, we have him on a dairy-free diet because dairy is constipating. We try not to give him bananas. The things that we try and refrain from giving him. So when they say, can he have this? And I'm like, I'd rather not, you know, or, you know, can he have bread? When you sit down at a restaurant and they give you bread, and I packed a Tupperware fruit. Let's give him that instead. You're at a stage now where, you know what foods work and what foods don't for Edison. And everyone's totally different. Everyone's in their own individual case, isn't yeah. it? It's interesting, <laughs> to yeah. say the least. And now we're joined by Holly's husband, Matt. And uh, Matt, we just thought we'd get your perspective from a dad because, uh, you know, the father's perspective is a, is a lot different to the mum's, of course, because of the, the way with all the the treatments that have to go and how have you handled everything with Edison, mate? I mean, coming from the medical background that I have, I did have heart surgery as well. Uh, diabetic for 20 plus years. I look at it a little bit differently because I, I know how to respond to people that kind of, I don't know that they ask too much or just trying to understand to put it more in simple layman's terms. 
Yeah, that's I do that very important. Myself, uh, with that and being you know diabetic with the diet issues, um, I, I feel like I've helped Holly out with with the decisions on that. Just that I know more nutritional balance type items what that does to your body and other aspects as well so i think i feel like i i, I mean i i'm a mechanic by trade uh, just using systems in a way i look at it more as the body as a system than the emotional aspect of it i guess yep so i see that sometimes you have to do this or it has to be done or when this happens this also occurs type of mindset or aspect or view on on him as a as a person i suppose you with the frustrations of trying to explain the condition every day to people and the fixed mentality etc i suppose you can give a totally different perspective in that regard yeah so i i i mean i don't mind not telling anybody what happened i mean typically if it's you know, someone you know, ask, hey, if you know, just met him, you know, so he had some, you know, gut issues, but we're, we're working through it and he'll, he'll be all right. I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's going to get a job. He's going to go to college. He's going to, everything's going to be nor normal in the aspect of his normal. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone wants to go into detail, then I can go as far as what everything happened or, or I cut it kind of back into layman's terms of, you know, yeah, he was born without a rectum. They basically, you know, create one and they connect everything back up. And at the end of the day, it still works for the most part the same. It just takes a little bit of care. Yeah. And how have you found explaining it to males, whereas Holly would explain it to women with mums and that who are used to talking about plumbing issues, et cetera, <laughs> as such. And how have you found dealing, talking to males and how they reacted to it? I almost feel like they're at least the group that I'm around and stuff, again, more mechanically inclined and stuff, they just think, okay, well, pipe's now reconnected. Everything should work for the most part. And then um, a diet is kind of the controlling aspect on that. More or less not as, you know, like, oh, poor guy, but more or less, you know, it's good where you guys are doing what you need to do to get it done. I'd imagine Holly's been the one that's uh, taken a lot of the burden on with the appointments and all that. So how have how have you found having to support Holly with from that perspective? How it's affected you? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, what I do is I, I try to listen. I know I can't most of the time. I can't attend most meetings or doctor appointments or stuff like that just because of work. But I like to kind of sit on stuff, so I'll kind of retain the information listen and usually hours later is when, when hours later is when she'll is when i'll have comment or commentary to you know questions myself but typically she she'll update me you know via text or a quick call after the appointment hey here's a quick bullet points when we get edison home and to bed then we'll kind of discuss what needs to be discussed on that being that i come again more on the medical side i i dealt with a lot of doctors and I think I've been kind of an advocate on that side to say, Hey, let's, let's do this or let's not do this, or this doesn't make sense. Or let's second guess this, even though, yeah, even kind of like with the general surgeon initially that, Oh, we could do it, but that doesn't seem like the right case. Let's go ahead and 
and do our own research on that. You know? I totally understand. And Holly, how critical has it been to have Matt's support and understanding from that from his background to you? Very, because I go into panic mode and he is uh keeps me level headed. <laughs> Pause, you know, it's yes. okay. Let's discuss it from A to B and go from there. I think when we had mentioned Edison wouldn't eat but two ounces at a time, everybody wanted him to get an NG tube to feed for him. And I was, you know, just let's just do it. That, that would be the easy way out. But Matt, you know, what are we setting him back if we do that? Like we're doing that because he can't eat more than two ounces at a time. So there's a reason for it. There's something underlying. It's not because he doesn't, he can eat, he does eat. And he'll eat every two hours, two ounces at a time. So there are very many situations similar to that one where it was good that Matt is the... The The calm voice? Yeah, the calm horse. That's perfect. (laughs) I'd like to ask you both this question. What would your advice be to a mum and a dad who are just starting off this journey now that you're 18 months into? This too shall pass, and it's going to go by so fast. If you asked me 16 months ago that we'd be sitting here doing a podcast with you, discussing everything Edison has overcome, I would not have believed you. It goes by real fast, and you'll make it through. (laughs) And there's so much support, so seek it, accept it. When you need a break, take it. That's great. And Matt? Yeah, so my advice is um, is just, just take the, the kind of slow approach on it and kind of think about everything that's going to be right uh, for the kid, for you, for the family unit as a whole. Uh, at the end of the day, if your mindset or your wife's mindset isn't uh, level-headed, then you can't do the best thing you can for your child. And that could include, you know, getting a second opinion, um, stepping away for a minute and just kind of looking at the bigger picture of why you're doing this and, and how to make everything right and peaceful at the end of the day for him and your family. Great advice. So Holly and Matt, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing Edison's journey so far. It's only 18 months in, but you've, gone through a lot of uh, issues and surgeries and etc and uh, he's a very lucky little boy to have parents like you so thanks so much for joining the podcast thank you for having us yeah thank you so much